Joining me on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle today is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Episode 16 of the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. Thanks for your support so far. A great show lined up for you today. Adam Silver, the NBA Commissioner, will be joining this podcast last week while the NBA played out its game in London between the Indiana Pacers and the Denver Nuggets. Adam Silver was in town before flying straight off to Mexico for another global game encounter. Myself and four other lucky journalists were there for a roundtable at the NBA UK office and Adam was gracious with his time, spoke about plenty of topics including Brexit, the new CBA, Donald Trump and what he would tell players and teams that doubt going to the White House going forward. Also talked about the growing Chinese market and maybe taking a game to the Middle East, the future of the NBA in Mexico and London, of course, TV ratings because they're down in the NFL and the Premier League, amongst others. And of course, because it was a Global Games week, we talked about expanding the game globally. There are four teams remaining in the NFL, the quarterbacks for the championship round, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers and Ben Ruffelsberger. Who would you put your money on? Well, that's where my sponsor comes in because you can double your money at redzonesports.com. We are sponsored on this podcast by our partners at redzonesports.com, the bespoke British bookmaker for American sports, as well as the best odds on US sports. Money can't buy prize promotions and their very own cheerleading squad. You can get an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer by using deposit code USSP on your first deposit. Red Zone is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. That's redzonesports.com. Go to register and enter deposit code USSP just in time for the NFL games this weekend. The San Diego Chargers are no longer in San Diego. They've moved to LA. We're going to talk about that. Dean Spanos, greed. Uh, amongst other things, I can only think of the word greed when it comes to the NFL and these kind of moves. So we will get into that absolutely. But Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, so excited that he is a guest on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. It was a roundtable, as I mentioned, with four other journalists. So what I'm going to do here is bring in Adam's comments for each and every topic by telling you what we're talking about because everyone that asked questions wasn't mic'd up. So I'll get straight to Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner. The first topic on the agenda was staging games outside the United States. It's logistically not easy during the regular season just because, as you know, our schedule is so dense. But I, I will say, at, at the same time, with, with a league that has 20 now 25% of our players having been born outside the United States, the appetite is growing. You know, I, I, this is my 25th year with the league, and we used to get a lot of complaints in the old days when we traveled to teams. Not so much anymore. I mean, you know, they, they whine a little bit about the wear and tear in their bodies, but they like going places, you know, and I think you have players who like sharing parts of the world with their teammates and, you know, learning new cultures. So they're, they're very positive trips. I think it's we just haven't um, cracked the code on how we can do too many more international games in the midst of a very dense schedule. Despite both teams last week, Indiana and Denver, spending four days in London, there was only one game, of course. So what about a series of games around Europe? We could. Um, it, it is something we're talking about right now. Uh, one of the changes in the new collective bargaining agreement is that we added an extra week to the season next year, but of course kept the same number of regular season games. In fact, reduce the number of friendlies at the, at the beginning of the season. So that will give us some more days to play with in the schedule and would make um, bringing some additional teams over and maybe, to your point, doing some sort of round-robin type tournament 
more um, possible. You know, I, I, it's also the other side of the coin is that the, um, the revenue generation has gotten so great from these games back in the States, new arenas, the value of the television contracts have gone up, that we have to also look at the lost opportunity. It's just part of the equation when we take games outside the United States as well. But um, with Ben and Mark, the, these are things that um, we've all been spending a lot of time looking at. And, and again, I think maybe um, the turning point will be the change in the layout of the schedule. These additional days will maybe for the first time give us a greater opportunity to, to, do, to, to travel more outside the United States during the regular season. The next question asked of Adam Silver was, why London for this game in Europe? The focus on London has largely been because of the relationship we've had with AEG that runs the O2 um, and the fact that this is truly a state-of-the-art arena. And it came online before some of the newly renovated arenas in Europe, um, per se, in, in Paris. And this was, you know, AEG also has an arena in Berlin. We've played there. There's a new arena in Istanbul, we've played there. I mean, it's it's really more a function. I mean, for for us to play a competitive game, um, to be able to generate the kinds of revenue we need to support it, to, to for the arena to have the type of um, media infrastructure so we can um, distribute these games all over the world. There there are only so many state of the art arenas that can do that. So, and and I think when looking back a decade. I think we thought that the arena structure, infrastructure boom would come faster. You know, it's beginning to happen. And I think what we're seeing in Europe is similar in the United States, that these arena arenas, as opposed to stadiums, are multifaceted entertainment centers. And that the well-run arenas, O2 is a perfect example. It's nice to come in with a basketball game, but they're generating a um, huge amount of business from concerts, you know, and, and uh, trade shows and, and other events. And I, and so it's taken longer than I would have thought, but now we're beginning to see now this next generation of arenas, some newly built, some old arenas renovated, that are in a, are in a position to um, uh, sponsor, you know, and, and, and promote an NBA game. A topic of conversation on these shores, Brexit has been going on for a long time now. And Adam Silver talked about how it might affect the NBA's business here going forward. It's unclear to us what impact it will have. And I think it's my sense is from talking to many of our partners back in the U.S., it remains unclear to them as well. And so we'll see. I mean, we do study it. And then I think there's there's Brexit itself and then the symbolism of Brexit. And so maybe that's already had a huge influence on our election. I mean, I think nobody quite knows that either but um we we are a global business 25 percent of our players were born outside the united states we are a boundaryless business in many ways that there's there's this notion we have that wherever you grow up whether it's in london or beijing or johannesburg you know um or in paris that if you are the very best basketball player you are going to come together and play in this one league. So we pay a lot of attention to things that potentially impact borders. And I think as a, as a sport, we're also very focused on principles 
and values that include inclusion and diversity and respect for others. And now we try to find where the appropriate line is between those values and what then becomes overtly political. But yet we're still going to maintain our values regardless of what happens in a political context. And because we think those values are critically important for sport and especially for a successful sport. Donald Trump will be in office very soon and the next president of the United States. I asked Adam Silver what conversation he would have with players or teams that expressed doubt on visiting Trump and the White House. If a team came to me, I think one, the context would be very important. Um, I can So who knows what will happen over the next several years. I can tell you if a team in the current situation came to me and said they wanted my view of whether they should go to the White House, I would say I think you should go to the White House. You know, in that um, whether it was President Obama or now President-elect Trump, that the institution is bigger than any one man, that um, it's symbolic for a championship NBA team to go to the White House. We are, at the end of the day, a U.S. business, largely based in the United States. And I I would add that Donald Trump, the private citizen, is someone that I don't know well, but I've known for many years as a fellow New Yorker. He um, has been to many, many New York Knicks games over the years. He's attended NBA drafts that have taken place in New York. Um, I've been to several games with his daughter, uh, his daughter Ivanka, and her husband Jared Kushner. And I have no reason to believe that he won't continue to be supportive of the NBA. But I'll I'll just end by saying our players um, are citizens in their own right, um, entitled to their own opinions. Um, I don't plan to force them to do anything that would be viewed as political in nature, but I I think as as we've done historically, we encourage players to have those conversations with each other, with us, and to become informed on the issues. I think that's what's most important to me, though, that the players, that if they're going to take a position that will be perceived as political, that they that they ensure that they truly inform themselves. The new collective bargaining agreement has been put in place by the NBA. It gives the teams an additional week of the regular season. So Adam was asked if that would mean extra games played abroad. The primary reason we added those additional days was to create more rest for the players. Um, Because of the significant number of back-to-backs we continue to have and the fact that we know that there's a correlation between fatigue and injuries and as much as we understand the fans perspective especially the disappointed fan who maybe goes to the one Cleveland Cavaliers game and maybe the one game that LeBron James happened to decide to rest at I think on behalf of all NBA fans at the end of the day we would rather see him get his rest than get injured and then miss a significant number of games so it's one constant balance. From a business standpoint, you have to weigh the lost revenue in the United States versus the opportunity, um, you know, most likely in Europe to do mul- to do multiple games. On the other hand, part of what we look at, it's not just the short-term P&L from those games, but generating long-term interest. So it's something we're very focused on. And, and, and again, I think, but those additional days at least 
previously, we didn't spend a lot of time modeling it because we didn't have the days to work with. And I think that's something we're just getting this collective bargaining agreement finished. I think it's something we'll be turning to right away. TV ratings have been down in the NFL and also the Premier League here in England. Have the NBA weathered the storm? We seem to have weathered the downturn, but I recognize that's in the short term. That Take the U.S. market, for example. Three years ago, we had 100 million pay TV homes. Now we have 90 million. And so we'd be foolish not to pay attention to that. I think we're also very aware of the research relating to millennials who watch both less television and less sports. Mm -hmm. So that's something we have to take seriously at, at the same time. On the other hand, while take ESPN, for example, has gone from 100 to 90 million pay TV homes, we now have 200 million smartphones that, it, in essence, didn't exist five years ago at this level of quality in terms of broadband streaming. So I think we're going to need to work through this transition with our television partners, but my view is it will be net strongly positive when we're increasingly reaching a point when everyone is carrying a TV in their pocket, the emphasis is no longer on prime time, um, people, the games are much more accessible, and then finding games becomes that much easier. And I, I was, last week I was in Las Vegas at the Consumer Electronics Show and saw a lot of social media technology. And what I'm hopeful of is before long, you're going to have, you're going to be able to get an alert on your phone, and if you're, whether it's because you're a fan of the Lakers or Arsenal or whatever else, that there's an important game going on, and you'll get an alert, and you'll click on your phone, and then you'll be watching the game. There probably will be some payment that goes with it, but it won't be cumbersome, you won't be entering your credit card, it won't require multi-level authentication, it'll be all done in one click and one second, and I think that therefore, the while conventional television as we know it is changing, there's a much greater opportunity because of social media and handheld devices. The model will definitely change, but I guess what my point is, if we're going from a universe of 100 million to a universe of 200 million, just take terms of comparing in the United States pay television distribution to smartphone distribution, that we will truly make it up in volume. That there'll be, the and not just because there will be, in essence, more households using that traditional measurement because more people will be carrying smart, smartphones, but accessibility of the games will be greater because, remember, we, the, the, the notion of primetime television developed because that's when people were in front of their TVs. Otherwise, they were at work during the day, and you know it's when, it's when they could watch television. Now people, um, subject to their bosses, can watch television you know, uh, th throughout the day. And I also think that this, through digital media and, and various kinds of tweets and alert systems will also have, it'll become much easier to find those games that you're interested in seeing. Because right now in the NBA, somebody may be a fan of the New York Knicks and may not follow primarily other teams in the league, but if they receive an alert and say, Steph Curry is, has scored 60 points and it's only the third quarter, click, they're going to tune in because they love great basketball. But otherwise, they would be doing watching some other former program. 
The next question asked of Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, was how much he uses the other US sports leagues as a measuring stick for what he does for his own league, the NBA. NFL has been an important measuring stick uh, for us to compare how we do things. But it, as you point out, also, I spent a fair amount of time with Bud Selig before he stepped down as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I, and I, I know his successor, Rob Manfred, very well. Gary Bettman at the NHL was somebody I actually crossed over with a bit at the NBA when I first got there in 1992. So I know him well. But then increasingly, um, Richard Scudamore is someone who was recently in New York. We spent time with um, we have relationships with the Bundesliga, with La Liga, you know, we, and, and then with individual clubs. And um, we want to be the very best. And, and there's, an, there's a nice tradition, I find, in sports that even though we're all at a certain level competitors with each other, we share best practices with each other as well. I think that I can sit with commissioners of the leagues, with owners of teams, especially global soccer teams that have incredible followings, and while we know we're competitors, we sh we share best practices, and I think that there's a it's a it's a love of sport, it's a intrigue about business and how um, where new media will take our businesses. So it it it's part of the business I particularly enjoy, and it's something we, I get to do on, during many of my travels and, and talk to other leaders in sports about how they are handling social issues, how they're handling various business issues, how they're handling media disruption. So we, we, and let me just last say, and then I don't limit that to sports. I think increasingly, this is now my third year as commissioner, as I've sort of been able to get out of the office more and, and travel more, I, I don't, my access isn't limited to sports leaders that, you know, leaders of media companies, people like Bob Iger, you know, if the Disney company is someone I've spent a lot of time with, or Jeff Bukas of Time Warner, people like that who um, are, are um, generous um, with time and advice and have had more experience than I have leading companies, they've been very helpful to me. Now, following the election win for Donald Trump, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr and Stan Van Gundy were some of the coaches to come out and voice their displeasure at the result. I asked Adam if coaches do this because they feel a comfort under him as commissioner? I'm talking to those coaches all the time. I, I, I'd like to believe that um, they do believe, I'd like to believe that they believe that the NBA is a safe place, so to speak, where um, their political views will be um, honored, um, that, that fans are sophisticated and understand that even if they don't necessarily agree with a particular political, political point of view by a coach or a player, that they can also be proud that they felt um, um, comfortable um, saying it and that that's part of political discourse and, and in fact I I look at the NBA as a place where because we're so multicultural multicultural we're so diverse and meaning you have players from you know now 25% of our league born outside the United States players from throughout the world um, players who bring very different perspectives that they can learn from each other and while they might not agree, respect each other. That's what I think we'd all like to see in a well-operating society is that people, you know, it doesn't mean you have to agree but that you respect other points of view and it, others' points of view and I think that's what we're seeing in, in the NBA. The next question for Adam Silver, is he worried about the power exerted by Golden State in Cleveland and that top-tier dominance? 
we're in the sixth year of, of our collective bargaining agreement, which was just extended. So in the five years that have already taken place, we had four different teams win championships in the first five years. So I think that's a very positive sign. Um, the notion of super team suggests that not just teams that are super, but teams that have come together um, of superstars who are banding together and saying, let's all go to the same team, knowing that we'll, you know, out of the blocks, have an excellent chance to win a championship. And I've said before, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of super teams constructed that way. I also recognize that in our league, players earn the right to become free agents and that they are, and we don't plan to take that right away from players to, to be able to make a decision on which club they're going to play in. What we've done to try to address that issue in this most recent collective bargain agreement is to create greater financial incentives for players to stay with their incumbent team. Significant financial advantages for those incumbent teams. And um, I, we think that will make a difference. Having said that, um, when you ask the question about four or five years down the road, there's always new collective bargaining agreements, new systems to be discussed. I like to think at the end of the day as a business that when you think of the 450 players in the league who make up the Players Association, the people who are our partners in this league, we really do have a common interest. Those players, while they want the ability to become free agents, they want the ability to have a fair amount of choice in where they play, they also recognize that it's not necessarily in their interest to have a league where the same team wins every year. So, I, you know, we'll see what happens with the Warriors, as they say. That's why they play the games. You know, I, I think um, it was a unique set of circumstances. You had a team that was, prior to Kevin Durant getting there, you had a team that was truly super but had not come together in any way as a conventional super team. It was a team built through the draft. And... Um, you know, and even, even in the case of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had LeBron, great story. He came back home to the team that drafted him. So not, not conventional super team stories. And so we'll see how it plays out over the, over the next few years. Here in the UK in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a positive growth of US sports here. Does Adam see it as a positive or is he still competing for fans with those other leagues? It's net positive, I think, that the other sports are interested um, in this market and other international markets as well. I think it's more net positive because it speaks to the global nature of sport and um, the changes we've seen largely through digital media, which enables fans virtually anywhere to watch every single game of a player they love or a team they love. Um, we're also competitors at the same time, but we're friendly competitors. And even I went... I think about our businesses in the United States, for example. I mean, the NFL is an incredibly powerful league, ratings far greater um, than the NBA's, and, you know, baseball has always been considered America's pastime. I've never thought of those sports as obstacles to the NBA's growth. You know, I mean, for us, and in fact, all the research we look at shows that if someone, for example, very specifically is a fan of the NFL, they're more likely to be a fan of the NBA than if someone's not a fan of the NFL. And I think the reason is, first of all, our seasons don't completely overlap, but in addition, generally, sports fans love great sports. And that seems to be what the research shows us, that it's highly unlikely someone says, I only want to watch the NBA and I'm uninterested in all their sports. People love to see great competition. And one of the things that this goes to 
question that um, the Financial Times asked earlier just about the trends in terms of media, one of the things we're very focused on in the league is making sure that young people grow up with that same tradition of loving to watch live sports. I think that, and that's something that all of our sports have in common. And if, and whether someone grows grows up, you know, watching, you know, soccer with their father or their mother, or grows up watching baseball with their parent, um, we think that's an important part of their development in terms of ultimately becoming a sports fan. Because then, when they are introduced to something like, you know fantastic performances on on the court around basketball i think they 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 understand what it means to be a fan and i think that we look a lot at the research involving millennials and especially you know that we think fantasy for example and even i've said it publicly before sports betting has been largely positive in terms of creating additional engagement in all our sports on the other hand um if if someone who only plays fantasy happens to just care about a particular combination of certain players and never develops a loyalty to a team, that's a bad indicator over time for them continuing to remain engaged in the sport. We will be back with NBA Commissioner Adam Silver very shortly, but I just wanted to tell you about our sponsors at redzonesports.com. The US Sports Podcast is sponsored by our partners at redzonesports.com, the bespoke British bookmaker for American sports. As well as the best odds on US sports, money can't buy prize promotions, and their very own cheerleading squad, you can get an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer by using deposit code USSP on your first deposit. Red Zone is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. That's redzonesports.com. Enter deposit code USSP. Adam Silver, NBA Commissioner. Let's get back to him. The most ridiculous question I asked Adam Silver is, will there be any potential going forward of the All-Star Weekend being hosted here in London? Definitely a possibility. Again, it's it's the additional days will help. It's I, And you're probably hearing in my voice almost a little a, a tinge less um, optimism than a few years ago and it's only because we've become more sophisticated about the impact of travel and crossing time zones on our players and in terms of the correlation with injuries and so we just have to make sure that we're able to, to create a schedule where the 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 right amount of rest is built in after players travel across the pond then back over and so that it well it will be to me, a, a, a great spectacle, for example, playing an all-star game here in London or, or in the rest of Europe, that um, it, we don't want to do it at the cost of the player's health. One of three final questions for the commissioner was what role he sees China playing in terms of the global sports economy going forward. You know, it, it, it's similar to my answer about the impact of other sports on the NBA. I view it as very positive that the Chinese government, very positive for the NBA and for basketball, that the Chinese government is investing so much in soccer. Because one, first of all, it's obviously an enormous market, so there's plenty of room for more than one or two sports to remain popular. I think it also, it's it's establishing the tradition of physical fitness. One of the biggest issues in China is that, and this is something Yao Ming has talked to me a lot about, I mean, he talks about his childhood where, you know, he was clearly destined to yeah. at least be, you know, a, 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 a competitor. Maybe nobody knew he would be, you know, succeed at quite the level he has. But um, he was separated early on from traditional schooling and went to sports school. But what Yao Ming has explained to me is at least when he was growing up, if you 
were not being sent to sports school. Physical education was not part of your life in any way. In fact, there was a perception that that was time away from your studies, and that it was. And what what I'm hopeful of is the Chinese government increasingly focuses on soccer and then other sports. They will see the value of physical education, and not just in terms of producing elite players, but.、Um, Demonstrating to young boys and girls that participating in sports、um, creates a healthier life, helps teach all the values I talked about before in terms of respect and inclusion,、um, and, and leadership, and that、um, as these young people become exposed to sports, that creates a much greater likelihood that they will then follow sports as adults. So we view this as a very positive trend, and in fact, there have been、um, some stories recently.、Um, Written that I don't I don't know if it's actually happened yet, but the Yao Ming may be taking over the Chinese Basketball Association.、Right. Uh, there have been reports coming out of China. I think that would be incredibly positive move for the sport as well. So you know, in the same way I was talking about in the in the as as considering how much more popular the NFL is in terms of television ratings than the NBA is in the states, we still have obviously a, an, an extraordinary business. So I, I only view that as positive, and 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 I do think that while it's not getting as much attention, the government is also investing a fair amount in basketball at the same time. Yeah, the FA Cup, obviously a very famous cup competition for football in this country, and the commissioner has talked about a potential FA Cup style tournament during his tenure as NBA commissioner. Will the expansion of the schedule in the new CBA allow for this kind of competition to take place? In basketball, in order to have great, in order to have great club competitions, you need other great clubs outside of the NBA. And so we root for the Euro League to continue to build into something special in the redeveloped Euro League. And you know, we spend a lot of time with Yao Ming and discussions with the Chinese Basketball Association, other leagues. I mean, we are we are advocates for great basketball around the world. I mean, we're a, at the end of the day. We love the fact that the, the best basketball in the world is played in the NBA, but that's 450 players roughly, and there's, you know, tens of millions of players around the world, increasingly at high levels. So, I think most importantly, in terms of doing an FA Cup style competition, we need to get to the point where, if fans are going to care about it, that it's real competition. And I think now, you know, a lot of the friendlies we do preseason against other clubs. You know, they're they're just that they're friendlies. But I think that there's a recognition that the very best basketball talent from countries all around the world finds itself in the NBA. And the last question for the commissioner: Does the value of franchises level out any time soon? I think we will continue to see two billion dollars spent in the NBA, and I think that what what we're seeing is that on a relative、um, stand, from a relative standpoint, that the value of Premium sports content is becoming that much more valuable than other forms of entertainment. It's the closest thing to a sure thing、um, from from a, a, from a, a programming standpoint. That if you look at the amount of investment that goes into creating a single hit show, whether it's on network television or Netflix or on Amazon Prime or on any of these other services, that while sports is very expensive, it's highly predictable in terms of how it will rate. And increasingly, what I'm seeing is that there are more bidders coming to the market. All those companies that we talked about earlier,、um, the so-called over-the-top media services, are now increasingly focused on the value of sports. And for the NBA in particular, one of the reasons I'm so bullish on our franchise values is that 
the market that's only set right now is, a, is, a, is in essence the U.S., yeah. but our games are televised in 215 countries, and, we're, and those same global media companies are now talking to us about markets outside the United States. I mean, we have a very successful deal in China with Tencent, for example. We have a successful deal here with with uh, BT, but, you know, so it's, we're, we're it, I, I think as we go market by market, we're going to be able to create enormous additional value based on the fact that at the end of the day, basketball is probably the fastest growing sport in the world right now. Adam Silver there, NBA commissioner, very happy that he could come on the US Sports Podcast. I wrote an article uh, on The Guardian about that uh, roundtable. The story I got out of it really was that he would tell players and teams to go to the White House, whether it be Barack Obama or Donald Trump. Uh, So you're going to go to The Guardian and check out that if you want to read it. Uh, All the quotes that you just heard will be involved in the piece. But thank you again to Adam. We're going to go to the topics now. One of the, uh, obviously the first thing I want to talk about is NBA London because of my guest and because it was just last week. Denver and Indiana came over. Uh, They were coming in at different ends of the spectrum, really. The Pacers were on a five-game winning streak. The Nuggets on a five-game losing streak. Denver put up 140 points, a season high. They washed away Indiana, who looked jet-lagged four days after they'd arrived. And as I record this, both teams have played a game back in the States. They had home games yesterday. Denver... Uh, beat up on Orlando and the Pacers beat New Orleans so I think the NBA office here will be happy that both teams went back and had no ill effects from the game and the travel they won on their return but the game itself the player that I really learned a lot about this week was Nikola Jokic the Serbian center at the start of the season he wasn't starting you had Yusuf Nurkic in there and, and Jokic was either playing the the four position or coming off the bench Jokic had his first 30 point game of his career in that game I just talked about in Orlando a couple of days after playing in London. He was, the, he was the game high scorer in London too. Long arms, loves to pass the ball. He's a very good passer of the ball. He brings the ball up the floor. Uh, he's aware of things around him. He can feed off Kenneth Fareed really nicely. There was, a, there was a play in that game where Jokic just threw it up behind his back to Fareed who slammed it down for the alley-oop. He's got that awareness and that ability to to share the ball. You know, we talked about Andrew Bogut a lot in Golden State last season, how he was able to share and create. Well, Jokic is doing that too. Not afraid to play the point position when he has to bring the ball up. Good shooter too. He was shooting threes, gets to the foul line. Got to work on his defense a little bit, but Jokic is a 21-year-old here as well. We're talking about a very young man. Denver got him past 40 in the draft a couple of seasons ago, and he was very impressive in this game and, and surely Denver now building around him going forward. Danilo Gallinari, the Italian, was the fan favourite at the O2 Arena last Thursday. Lots of Italians in the crowd and he was stirring it up. He hit four early threes. It, it, was a, it was an okay game. I was a bit disappointed that fans were leaving early. Uh, I take issue with this only because we have a game once a year in London and for people that love the NBA, people that complain that we don't have enough here and you just heard Adam Silver in the interview before that you know, the league are talking about trying to expand and, and play more games here, play more games in London or around Europe and other countries. If it comes to your city or you can travel to that city to watch the game, you stay for the entire game because it's nothing like watching a game on Game Pass. So I was a bit disappointed to see that. I realized that it was a blowout. The paces were poor. They looked jet lagged from the start. Both teams arrived Monday, canceled practice on that day. So they had two days of practice and the game. They looked pretty... They had time to refresh, they had time to visit the city. Larry Bird was sitting in, this, in the stands at the O2 in the same position 
that he would sit at in Indiana. He was getting a lot of attention when he came out of the media room at halftime. Everyone was just turning their heads. That that That's Larry Bird. <laughs> that's Larry Bird. Because a lot of people didn't know that he was here. He, he did one interview with Thierry Henry, was, who was courtside, uh, as you do. And that was it. We didn't hear from Bird. So a lot of people didn't know he was there. Interested to see him here. And he is taller than I expected close up. The week's events were exciting too. We had great alumni this this year, and thanks to the NBA for that. We had Ronnie Turiaf, Isaiah Thomas, Dikembe Mutombo, and Marcus Camby all in town for the whole week. I spent quite a lot of time with Isaiah, and we're going to get in future podcasts uh, players that I spoke to. Uh, I also spoke to Chris Finch, the Nuggets assistant who was coach of Team GB back when Lord Deng was playing in the 2012 Olympics. Uh, Mutombo is going to be on the podcast. It was just so funny to see. They were all staying, well, the Nuggets were staying and also the alumni at the Landmark Hotel in Marleybone. And if you stood on the balcony last week for any amount of days, it was just a case of playing spot the legend. It was harder to find a, quote, normal person. You had Matumbo walking around at seven foot two, this huge Hall of Famer, walking to the breakfast room, getting his chocolate croissants and, and just businessmen walking around the foyer with briefcases not sure who it is, but certainly aware of where this guy is. He he stands tall, and it was a comical scene, really. At one point, Isaiah came down for breakfast at 11.30 and was told by the receptionist that breakfast had now closed. I'm sure he went to somewhere like pret a manger I don't know. And there was a great event on Wednesday night at the O2 Arena that I was lucky to be part of. Muller Rice sponsored the event. Basically, the alumni that I just mentioned, minus Camby, were there at the O2 Arena for a skills clinic. So a lot of the media members and local kids from schools got to take part in this shooting and ball handling and passing skills clinic on the court with the players. Thomas was Facebook living it the whole time. And at the end, guys got to get questions into the alumni about their careers and the current NBA. So all in all, a fantastic week. And I really like I really like the Nuggets going forward this season. I think if they can just stay in touch with the eighth seed. Something Chris Finch did tell me, though, at one of the practices, he didn't want Denver to sell their soul to be the eighth seed. He wants that team to develop, the young guys to develop. So going forward, it's not a question of will we make the playoffs. It's just a question of where we'll be in the playoffs. Because if you do sell your soul to get to the eighth seed, you're only going to get swept by Golden State. I think it's more important that the Denver Nuggets do in, in continue to impress. I think uh, improve, sorry. And Indiana, I'm not sure where this team is going with Nate McMillan and Larry Bird. The idea that they were going to speed up the play, it didn't look very speedy and very modern to me. They got Miles Turner, Paul George, talented guys. Uh, but Jeff Teague, not convinced by him. George Hill, better point guard in my opinion. And they're not that young, Indiana. So we'll see what happens going forward. But NBA London, another successful week for global games in the NBA. The NFL is hotting up. Four teams remaining. Green Bay at Atlanta for the NFC Championship game and Pittsburgh at New England in the AFC. For the right, of course, to go to Super Bowl. 51. How good is Aaron Rodgers? Going into Dallas, you've just beaten the Giants at home on the wild card round. Rodgers hasn't lost a game in quite a while now. It was a, it's a case of win out for Green Bay. Some of the throws he makes down the stretch, the one that set up the final field goal winner for Mason Crosby, unbelievable. That Rodgers can scramble in the pocket, and as a freelancer, he's one of the best we've ever seen. He's so good when the pocket collapses and he has to just go out and create. He finds his receivers. The receivers know that they just have to move around, find spots in the field because Rodgers will find them. He's very athletic. He can dodge linemen and he can still fire the ball faster than anyone in the league. 
Green Bay going into Atlanta is an interesting one. The Georgia Dome gets another game before the Falcons move next door to their new stadium next season. The Falcons have the most dangerous offense in the league when they're on. And I still don't think that we are giving them enough respect. I think we expected them to fall over at home to Seattle in the divisional round. Matt Ryan got his second playoff win. So we're just not sure about Matt Ryan. We're just not sure that Atlanta are a legitimate team. And I can be assured that the NFL want Green Bay out of this game. I don't think they believe Atlanta is a very sexy pick going into the Super Bowl. I like the Packers in this one just because of where Rodgers is at right now, where this team is. And also, you might get Jordy Nelson back for this game, who missed, obviously, the game against Dallas. For the Cowboys, the Romo talk during the game was uh, funny, strange, stupid, pointless, because Dak Prescott had a good game. Dak Prescott is your quarterback. He is your future. Build around him. And he tied the game. He got you to the point where you could tie the game with 30 seconds remaining. It, was, it looked like it might go to overtime, but for Rogers' brilliance. But Tony Roma being on the sideline always causes this discussion, this conversation. And Jerry Jones thinks he needs Tony Romo next season as a backup. What if Dak Prescott goes down? We don't want Mark Sanchez to play. But you have to show that you're building around Dak Prescott for years to come. You won't get a lot for Tony Romo, but you need to get rid of him. Only because if Prescott has a couple of bad games next season, this still remains a story. And that's what you don't want. The Cowboys were the number one seed. They went 13-3. and And I'm sure they expected to get further than the, the divisional round. They just came up against a very good team in Green Bay. And... Dallas as a stadium at home isn't that much of a home field advantage. Jerry Jones has to stop being Jerry Jones. He has to overcome himself, get rid of Romo, because Prescott has to feel assured. He's played so well with all the talk about Romo behind him. And the fact that it came up in this game again, I think is is ridiculous. Mason Crosby, though, ice in his veins. He hit the field goal from 56 yards to put Green Bay up by three. Then the game was tied by Dallas. Crosby was iced for the winning kick he hit that one and he had to do it again and he kicked it through Mike McCarthy stuck with Crosby a couple of seasons ago when he didn't have a good year and since then he's been rewarded as one of the best kickers in the league and in the AFC a much more competitive game I think Pittsburgh at New England than last week when the Patriots walked over Houston they didn't look too convincing against Houston but I, I think an element of that has to do with the opposition uh, they still put 34 points on a very good defence Home field advantage is huge for New England, though, because Pittsburgh beating KC in KC signs of a very strong team, and they're playing very well right now. The three Bs, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger, and Antonio Brown add a fourth now with Chris Boswell, who hit a record in the playoffs, six field goals at the Chiefs. They were key. Those 18 points were absolutely key in that game. That's what won them the game. But this is an all-time this is an all-time matchup right here. Steelers Pats and the first playoff game that Brady and Roethlisberger will play against each other since Roethlisberger's rookie season. I like the Super Bowl to be Green Bay against New England. I think that's what's going to happen. That's my pick. Uh, I'll have to stick to that next week when it's probably Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Third on the list today, just a quick uh, run through the Golden State Cleveland rematch. The second one of the regular season. The Cavs took the first one. Golden State absolutely blew out Cleveland in this one. They gave up 126 points to Cavs and 78 in the first half to Golden State. Going into this game, we knew that both teams were very good from the three-point line. Golden State ranked fourth 
in three-point makes, Cleveland second. In attempts, Golden State are fifth and the Cavs third. And in three-point percentage, the Warriors are fourth and the Cavs third. It looked like it was going to be an even game. We, we could see Kyle Korver playing in this system for the first time. But with 90 seconds remaining in the second quarter, Golden State led 72-46. to 46, And I could see the potential of this Warriors team. When it clicks, no one can beat them. They just score in such big flurries. Fast breaks and forcing turnovers is so essential for them. And in Curry's first half, 14 points, 10 assists and crucially no turnovers. That's needed against Cleveland. We've seen lackadaisical Curry who throws the ball away and turns the ball over too easily against this team and in general throughout the season. If he doesn't turn the ball over, this Warriors team runs very fluidly. Draymond Green and LeBron James had another moment. Green was uh, assessed a flagrant one only trying to steal the ball and he ran into LeBron's chest. LeBron went down like a sack of spuds, really acted, uh, play acted a lot and Draymond was like laughing almost at the sideline when he was given the flagrant run and Stephen A. Smith of ESPN, come on. Again, not scripted at all, I'm sure. Talking about Draymond and how he's disgraced by him, he needs to understand that his behaviour is going to cost him again. In this case, I can't not defend Draymond Green. He was trying to steal the ball and the motion of LeBron coming up the court and Draymond going towards him aided that collision. Richard Jefferson was trying to get a reaction. He went up to Draymond Green, got on his face. Jefferson was trying to change the, the, the momentum of the game because right then the Cavs were struggling. But LeBron went down too easily. I think he was trying to get Green uh, teed up. It was a flagrant one and we move on. Certainly not the last thing that will happen between these two I don't think this season though Cleveland they went away from Kevin Love very early and then he missed the second half because of back issues uh, Carl Korver who we saw for the first time in this system I was interested to see how he would defend against the the, the Warriors death lineup whether he could guard it Andre Guadalla well Korver was guarded by Steph Curry to start the second half it was interesting because Clay Thompson guarded Korver in the first half but they kind of the Warriors tried to hide I guess Curry on Korver who if you can stick by him on the three-point line, you should be okay. And Kevin Durant as a defender really improved this season. He, he stripped the ball from Kyrie Irving at one point. He was blocking shots. And the Warriors lead the league in blocks, by the way, per game at 6.1. If Durant can be a very good defender, a top 10 defender in the league, with that length and that athleticism, there's no reason why he can't. The only, right, the only reason why he wouldn't is because he would take time off uh, to aid his offense. But if he can become a top 10 defender... He kind of replaces the loss they had of Andrew Bogut, Mo Spates and the like. The Warriors now lead the NBA in steals per game, blocks per game and deflections per game. LeBron said before this game that it wasn't a rivalry, the Golden State-Cleveland matchup. He mentioned when he was with Miami and he had similar bouts with San Antonio. Uh, doesn't believe that there are rivalries in the NBA anymore because players leave teams so easily, not like the Celtics and Lakers of the 80s. Well... <laughs> I agree with Draymond Green on this one again. It is a rivalry. He said afterwards it definitely is. No two teams have ever faced each other three times straight in the NBA Finals. And I think that's what's going to happen this time. Certainly is a rivalry and this one was big for the Warriors to show that they can beat Cleveland. And very convincingly too. And final one today. The Chargers of the NFL are moving to LA. The Clippers and the Lakers booing the new logo when it was showed on the Staples Center a couple of days ago. The owner Dean Spenos... Son of a rich father. He's got this job because his dad owned the team. He said he's tried to get the stadium built in San Diego. But why would the public pay for this increase in hotel tax? Why would they have paid for any way to get a new stadium? What do they get back? 
They pay for the parking. They built the stadium and they pay $50 for a parking spot. They pay 20 bucks for, a, I don't know, a box of chicken or a, or a burger. Why couldn't the NFL just say in this instance and in any instance when we talk about a franchise moving, let's make San Diego work? Who's going to watch this? Who's going to watch this team? The Chargers don't have a history in LA. The Rams do, and no one watched the games. The Coliseum was half empty. San Diego were last in attendance last year. And now they're moving to LA. This is a better team coming in, of course, than the Rams. It's an upgrade. But it's always about 32 owners and how much money they can make. And they will be absolutely delighted with this move because the franchise's worth goes up an absolute ton in billions. The league were willing to take a team out of Cleveland back in the day. Oakland shouldn't go to Vegas. I feel sorry for the Raiders because they're just getting good now and they might lose their team to Las Vegas. We're saying we don't care. We're staying out of it. If, if people are neutral, they might say, well, the Chargers have stunk for so many years. But what if it's your team? If the NFL were willing to take a team out of Cleveland, if the NFL are moving St. Louis to LA and San Diego to LA, the history of the Chargers, that city, that team, it could happen to your team. What if the Bears left Chicago? What if the Eagles left Philadelphia? It's a serious subject when it becomes your team. And San Diego didn't deserve this. The owner, full of greed. And that's what we're seeing too much of in the NFL these days. The league has no soul. You look at the NFL and all you see is guys making money. Teams moving. No identity with fan bases. And I think that's sad. There you have it. Another episode of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle, wrapped up. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner. Delighted that he could come on the show today. Really interesting discussion. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. That's W-H-I-T-T-L-E. You can find the US Sports Podcast on its official page on Audio Boom and on iTunes as well. Please subscribe on both channels. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated. More special guests next week on the show. And of course, in a couple of weeks' time, the Super Bowl will be here and we'll be looking really in-depth back on all the postseason games and, of course, previewing the Super Bowl. Until next week, enjoy the games.